Welcome back to another episode of the Huxley Morton podcast, the show where each week we speak to pharma company owners and industry leaders sharing their stories of personal and professional growth. Um, with me today, I've got my usual co-host, Mr. Adam Walker. How are you doing, Adam? Great to see you, James. I'm very well, thank you. Top of the, top of the afternoon for you. Yes. Uh, and look, <laughs> I, I guess we're also joined by the clinical trials guru, Mr. Dan Svera. Dan, Welcome to the show. Has it hit the afternoon for yourself yet over stateside? Uh, early morning. Do you guys do daylight savings time over there? We do. United We've just, oh, okay. just gone back. I think we we're a week week ahead of you on that. Yeah. Um, okay. Last week, but I think yours was this weekend, right? Well, I was going to say Arizona is like one of the few places on the planet that does not observe daylight savings time. So when I moved from California to Arizona, which is the next state, it's nice. You know, we didn't change clocks. Everyone else did. I'm like, I don't notice anything different. <laughs> well, look, Dan, I've, I've, I've kind of introduced you. Look, the, the, the clinical trials guru, many of our audience will be familiar with your name, your content. Uh, but look, give us a bit of an, an overview as to who you are, the companies that you're involved in, because I know that you're, you've got your hands in so many organizations, it seems. Um, so, yeah, give us a quick overview as to, to everything that you're in, involved in. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I mean, it's like long time coming. Should have been on the way earlier, but that's my fault. Um, <laughs> so I'm a site owner first, research site. That's like if I had to pick only one thing, it's owning sites, owning clinics. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons I moved here to Arizona, Yuma, Arizona, it's an underserved area of the country that never had clinical research here. So created a site. I'm in the startup mode now for two studies pre-SIV. Um, but since 2005, I've been owning and operating sites. 2010 was when I started my YouTube channel. That started opening me up to other sites needing help with whatever questions they had. So we started a consulting service that helps sites get studies, negotiate budgets. That really is one of our biggest revenue streams to this day. And then in addition to that, started all the CRA training stuff, CRA Academy, CRC Academy. The last thing I wanted to do was open a school because I'm a horrible teacher, like very bad teacher. I actually get angry. Like I get angry. It's, it's very weird because I'm a very nice person. But when I'm teaching somebody and like they don't get something, I actually get angry and I, it's not good. So we hired a teacher. To actually do it, I work more with the interns. Uh, so that worked because when enough people are asking you, hey, do you have a program where you teach CRA, CRC? I keep saying no. After like the 500th time, I'm like, maybe we should do something. That's where we started that. Then I started doing CRA stuff because I wanted a contract CRA gig so I could teach better. I, be, I think I've become a better teacher since then. I get way less angry now. Um, and then, yeah, a bunch of other like Latinos in clinical research, we started looking into biotech stocks to do some videos around that. Mm. But I would say the site owner and the CRA trainings, probably the biggest components of what I do. Amazing. There's quite a few things to reel off there, Adam, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. And, and before we went on to the, on, onto this, um, the show today, Dan, I, I was looking at the immense amount of content you've created on YouTube and on various different places. And it's, it's really testament to the effort that you put in over the years by the, by the sounds of it. So is it fair to say that you're, you're a fairly early adopter to, you know, to 
translating that information electronically in the digital age ahead of COVID and, and, and where we find ourselves today? Oh, yeah, as far as like um, video conferencing. I mean, one of the best things that happened to our CRA Academy was COVID because we had prior to COVID, we had all the students come in interning in person. It's very inefficient. I mean, we had people from UK coming to LA, you know, to come intern for a week and then go back. Now we do it all remotely. We have a real, one of the things I forgot to mention, we have a very boutique CRO Mm -hmm. uh, where we do investigator initiated trials. So we have, we actually have a breast cancer study we're working on. It's a very important breast cancer study, immunotherapy, immuno-oncology. And uh, we have it all remote now, like all the monitoring is done remotely for that study because of COVID. So it forced us to uh, rethink how we do the internship. And because of that, I think we're doing a better job at serving our, our students. But it certainly seemed like you already had that in your armory, the fact that you were already doing online teaching. And as I say, I'd be, I, oh. I was looking back so much, you, you, look, you look like a younger man. Um, in some of the videos, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I started in 2010. A noticeable change, isn't there, over the years? You can see it. You can see it. You can see it. Yeah, 2010. I was what? I was 29, going on 30, and now I'm 40. So wow. yeah, it's been a full decade. Wow, of doing this. A decade dedicated to the to the research. A decade, and it's YouTube not stopping. Doing it's things. not stopping. I just bought this thing here. So Whoa, it's it's only. That? It's only going to get better, guys. Like, this is this is the next decade, okay? It's me talking about how I start my clinic from the ground up. I already started, but now I just got this new camera, so I'm going to do, like, every day now. Hey, this today I went to go meet my sub-I so he can sign a financial disclosure form. What's a financial disclosure? And then so every day, like, document a little bit of what I'm doing with the site, and you're going to be able to see going back you know, what it takes, like how somebody else can do it too. Wow. It's terrific. It's terrific. As I say, I, I think you're doing an amazing job with all of that content. Thank and, you. Uh, thank you. It will only, presumably it will only grow and grow and, and the adoption becomes greater. And then the users, you know, there's new people every day. Like, yeah, I mean, I feel like I covered everything, but then I realized that there's new people every day that, that haven't seen anything. So, and they're not going to go in the archives. They're going to want to see what's new. Most definitely. Well, Dan, I guess that we've, we've given people a, an overview for those who have had their eyes closed over the past decade and not come across you either on LinkedIn or on YouTube or in the world of clinical research as to, to what you've been doing. But look, one of the things that I'm always fascinated about is how you came across clinical research before you got into it. So, you know, kind of pre-2010, was it a planned gig? Did you fall into it? How did it How did it come about for you? Uh, very accidental and also very lucky. Uh, so my dad is a psychiatrist mm-hmm. and he he's a foreign doctor. So he's an international medical graduate from Romania. I was actually born in Romania. We moved to the States when I was two. So I grew up in the States, but I'm technically a Romanian born, foreign born, naturalized U.S. citizen. So my dad, <laughs> up until 10th grade for me, my dad was not a practicing physician. He was physical therapist. He worked at Jenny Craig, getting people to lose weight, all kinds of stuff while he was 
studying for his foreign exams to and so by the time I was in 10th grade he actually did it hats off to my dad I don't know how he did it but he did it and uh then we we moved to Orange County which is a suburb of LA and because of his colleagues at University of Southern California they kind of started a research clinic for psychiatry and I didn't really think much of it but I I, I was a pre-med by the time I went to college or started thinking about going to college, mm. I was, you know, I had it in my mind. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to go to med school. I'm going to take the shortest path there. If my dad's doing research and he didn't know anything about research, it's like him and four other doctors. One of them, I think, knew enough to do it, um, but not enough to manage it well. So I helped out. I had no clue really what it was, but I kind of did survey studies and then they let me keep some other revenues. Uh, so I was like, wow, this is like not bad revenue for, you know, like an 18 year old, 19 year old. Yep. So then I went to college, didn't think about research anymore. But when I graduated, my GPA was not that good. So I was like, man, you know, I, I'm not going to get into med school. I have to like do something. I talked to my dad. He's like, you know what? you should do more research, get it on your resume. That's probably like make you more attractive. Somebody, somebody's going to take you with your low GPA if you have research on your resume. <laughs> so I, I went there soon after I graduated college and the business started falling apart. Like employees just walked out one day and I was like, what's happening? And my dad was like, I don't know. One of the doctors decided that he's quitting and then three other ones left him or followed him. So now it's just me and we don't know anything. He didn't manage. He doesn't know anything about. It. So he's <laughs> like, either you, you go somewhere else and work or you can take over the existing studies and see what you, and I didn't know any, a thing about research. So I took over these existing studies um, in the middle of the study, right? Patients. I didn't even know who the patients were. It's just, I hoped that they would show up in the waiting room. Like every day, I just sat there and said, somebody's going to show up today. They're going to say they're in a study I, that there was zero organization. And I had, it was zero, like such chaotic stuff. And were the people still turning up? They were, they wow. were like, because we've spoken to people about patient engagement, <laughs> you know, patient centricity, all of they that. Showed up. <laughs> there was, you were it just sounds, winging it and it people like the, they were there. It sounds like the blag. You, you were blagging it. We have this phrase called blagging it. Did you feel like you were blagging it for a while? By the sounds of it, you were. Well, I don't know what that means, but sure, it, it means sounds like making it. it up as you go along. You know? Yes, it's, it's absolutely. Kind of, what do I do? It. I just kind of fit, fit, fit the pieces together of the pie. 100%. My whole, and I still had the delusion that I would get into med school during this time. So my whole thesis was, I hope my monitor doesn't kill me and call the FDA. But I literally <laughs> knew nothing, guys. When I say nothing, I knew nothing. Like the patients were ongoing, so I could see the source for the next visit. But that's about it. How, so I, how, did, that's you, it. how did you deal with that? Because I think, you know, I guess having been a manager, a leader, now a business owner, often when you have people in your team that don't necessarily know what they're doing, they kind of hide away and don't vocalize it. And normally things go on and then the shit hits the fan. 
So <laughs> yeah. what how did it how did it keep going and what was going through your head at the time? It was very simple because um everyone quit. So it was just me. There was nobody to rely on. It was my dad who was the PI and he knew nothing. He was ready to just like call the sponsor and, and cancel the, all the studies. Mm. Um, and we were going to early term all the patients, but then I was like, well, let's just see, you know, we all figure it out. And so it was easy. There was nobody to manage. It was just me having to learn everything. And I got to give a huge, huge shout out as much as I hated her at the time, our <laughs> monitor for that study. Once she realized that I don't know anything, because at first she thought I was just like lazy. But then she really understood. I don't know anything. So she started training me. She started showing up more often going. And I hated her, man. She would rip things off the wall. And she said, <laughs> this doesn't go here. Just walk into my office and like rip. But she taught me like the fundamentals of research. And that was like the foundation for the videos the first videos I started making five years later. But mm. at the time I hated her. I was terrified of this woman. And I actually got like hypertension. I was like a 24 year old with hypertension and my doctor didn't know what's happening. And I was like, I don't know either. I just have high blood pressure. It's not normal. <laughs> it was all the stress I was going through by her. But in hindsight, I'm really glad because she salvaged the study. We came out like nothing, like no real issues, just a regular site. And then I learned how to do studies within six to 12 months i kind of knew how to handle the next study would you say then that there's perhaps a little bit of a similarity in yourself and this monitor that you had at that time the fact that she was clearly getting angry at you because you weren't picking up perhaps what she was teaching and now you've <laughs> openly said that that is kind of how you view things that you get angry if, if people Maybe. aren't picking it up Maybe you discovered something here. May, that could be. I have no, I, I have I'm no idea. I'm just listening but... to that fact. I'm kind of like, hold on. This, this sounds like a familiar story that I heard like five minutes ago. Just <laughs> explaining that story again brings up a little bit of that stress. Like I do not ever want to be in that situation again. And nothing I've ever done since has been that difficult. Mm -hmm. And I had no clue how good the mind like how lucrative this was because we were not getting paid it was like night you, you don't get paid if you don't enter data and that was the last thing i was doing mm. so when that first check came through like five months later i was like really this is awesome this is amazing so this is worth like figuring out how to manage properly and that's when i started hiring people and kind of growing it from there Sure. Well, no, that's, uh, I guess, leads us on to nicely then, Dan. It's, it's good to hear, yeah, your background, your struggles, your stress, your, your anger, um, and kind of a bit of a catalyst for, for why you've, you've kind of followed the route that you have. I mean, talk us through now, I guess, how things are going, because you've kind of, yeah, as you say, turned it on its head. From someone that, that knew very little, openly said that and was just winging it, you are now managing, you know, the, the CRA Academy and teaching thousands and thousands online on a daily basis. Um, so, yeah, how did how did that come about? And give us a snapshot of, of how things look in your life at present. So with all that story I just said, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm complaining because I'm not. I'm just describing the 
the struggle was real guys but i was also at the same time very lucky because not many people straight out of college with no business really to be in clinical research get into be in that situation and looking back i made the right decision because i could have told my dad no you know i'm gonna go find a job that this is like crazy mm. but no it's like let's do it i had very little to risk so i look at it as luck but now the way the reason why i started the videos was to help somebody else who's just coming out of college maybe so that they don't have to stumble into it by luck they can like look and see okay this is how i get in this is how and i knew there was an audience for that because this is a like a multi-billion dollar maybe trillion dollar industry with very little information out there. I mean, I'm sure that's one of the reasons you guys started the podcast. There's like very little info. And I know when I was Googling this stuff, when I was, when I got out of crisis mode and just to manage the clinic. So 2005, 2006 was crisis mode for me. I was doing nothing. I had no life. I was sleeping at the clinic pretty much. Um, sun, sun up, sundown to sun up cramming for monitoring visits like i'm a college kid studying for an exam i mean and then 2006 to uh, 2007 i started hiring things started calming down until 2010 um the clinic i expanded to two more clinics but then the great recession occurred and foolishly uh, remember i'm young and naive foolishly the great recession comes studies are getting pulled i'm expanding I'm like, no, we're going to open this other clinic. So sure enough, my revenues, which were very good in, in 2008, 2009, were like cut in half by 2010 mm. while my expenses were growing. So I had to like, and I wouldn't, I would hate, I did not want to lay people off. So I was like taking my savings, putting it back in. No, we'll get a study. I just, I was subsidizing the research. So I had both extremes. I had like seven figure revenues in my first two years. And then my next three years was like negative every, every year. Wow. So I learned like both extreme very, very quickly. So you, you were pandemic proof before the pandemic came by the sounds of yeah, it. Yeah. Because you'd already lived that, that life. The pandemic came and I was diversified already into so many yeah. other things, but but yeah, like from 2005 to 2010, there was no videos, right? I'm throughout this whole time, highs and lows, great profits and horrible losses. I'm, I'm Googling things about research. How do you, you know, how do you do this? How do you do that as a research site owner? Mm. So I'm like, I can't find anything. The only things I find are like things from Center Watch. They were charging like 500 bucks for regurgitated GCP. Or, uh, or, or GCP guidance, you know, that kind of document. Because when you when you were talking yeah. earlier about, about the fact that you'd never had any training, it immediately I had my auditor's head on and I was thinking, oh, my God, what about his training record? What about ICA GCP training and everything else that goes with it? So you were just kind of doing what you had to do to get the job done, but at the same time, quite clearly learning very rapidly. And the reality is the reality of that those kind of trainings, GCP, it doesn't teach you anything from a practical nothing perspective. Practical. No, it's no. nothing practical. It's, it's just, just like, don't kill the patient is basically <laughs> the, like the theme. And you're yeah. like, okay, I already know that. I don't need yeah. this training to know that. 
Mm. It, it's it's true, but from a regulatory standpoint, of course, it's it's an essential component of running a site. Uh, you you know, in, enrolling patients and and reporting serious adverse events, adverse events, pharmacovigilance, everything to do with drug safety and everything along the lines of that. You know, it's... my mo- my monitor was my training. Like she gave it to me real. And uh, so Googling all this stuff, you know, and I'm like, all right, I, can, I need to do something. So 2010, after the Great Recession, after the highs and lows, things started stabilizing. And quite honestly, I got bored. Uh, and I was like, you know what? I got to like, if there's, I saw Center Watch. Center Watch was selling content. Mm. And I was like, I could be like Center Watch, but give everything for free. Mm. And so I tried to make videos to track patients. I tried, and that ended up attracting site owners and people trying to get in. So then I pivoted the content. And then in 2010, that's when everything changed for my businesses. Otherwise, I would have just still been a site owner, probably a few sites here and there, but I wouldn't have had the consulting business, the CRA academies, definitely not the CRO, none of this stuff. But I would be like an anonymous site owner that you never heard about. And that, that'd be okay too. Mm. <laughs> wow, it's just an interesting journey and so much to it. I think... Um, one of the points you touched on there is, you know, why we started uh, the podcast. And, and that was it was because I was hearing so many stories when I got into the industry about, you know, people's struggles through COVID. And, you know, I'd never really seen too much from any individual other than yourself in the world of clinical research. I, I just thought, you know, I should be sharing this stuff. I get asked every day what's going on in the market. What's this company <laughs> doing? What's that company doing? Why don't, again, why don't I just give it away for free? Because people will tune in, people are interested. Um, but I think the other thing that I picked up there is the fact that, that it's clinical research is not publicized as much as perhaps it should be. And my question to you yourself, Dan, was almost what do you think could be done to make it more of a career option? Because hmm. it's, it's a really hmm. interesting one. It can be a lucrative one. Why is not is, is more not being done to almost say, hey, there's clinical research over here. That's also a very good job option. I think because the incentive for raising awareness as a career option is really just for the CROs and the sponsors, and they're too scared to do this the right way. And so there's no incentive for an individual who's a CRA to teach others how to be a CRA without them somehow monetizing it. Because one of the reasons why CRAs are paid so much is there's just a huge demand, right? So they don't want to increase the supply. And even more so with the sites, all right? There's no way a site owner has any incentive to teach somebody else, even if it's another part of the country, how to start a site. Because you're essentially creating competitor. You're using your resources, which mm-hmm. is your energy, to create a competitor. And nobody in their right mind would do that. And that's exactly why I did it. Um, I wasn't worried about competitors. I mean, my site was, I'm in LA, or at the time I was in LA, mm. there's a competitor on every block. So I'm already used to the competition. So I kind of, I, I knew that it was, the right thing to do because everyone was ignoring it. But I think that's why you don't see more of it. Although lately with online platforms, people are trying to find ways to monetize. You seeing a lot more content creators in our space Mm. pop up. 
true. It's true. I, I was just going to follow on from from your point there, Dan. Actually, I've been working with my my uh, alumni, my my um, university at the University of Greenwich, and there are an awful lot. I studied pharmaceutical sciences um, many years ago, and I have been working with a number of students and their and their alumni to to try and encourage people to get into clinical research for exactly the reason that you're saying. Because I've got nothing to nothing to gain other than just to give something back, and I think it sounds like there's an altruism in you as well. In that, whilst you are monetizing these things, you also want to give something back, and that that was my motivation to do that. And, yeah. and it's it's been incredibly rewarding. You know, not financially rewarding certainly, but but actually seeing <laughs> seeing students coming through. You know similar sorts of um academic background to me but opening up the doors to an industry which as you say from the outside is pretty closed you know it's a, yeah. it's, it's a relatively small industry where people generally tend to look after one another you know you have a very closed group of professional connections and maybe companies that you work with time and time again and and actually to open those doors to new people coming into the industry is the way that it will improve and of course you know, we need more and more people, more and more highly qualified, educated people to come into this industry to share our passion. It's it's just a long term vision. And so I'm, I'm going to be honest. OK, like, yeah, it's nice to say altruistic and all that. I figured it out. But when I like when I started my channel, it was for selfish reasons. I wanted more patience for my site first. Yep. And then I realized there was not them watching. It was other sites. So then I wanted to just create content to attract eyeballs. I read this book in 2010 by Gary Vaynerchuk. I don't fanboy over too many people, but he, I'm like his number one fan, or at least I used to be. He wrote that book, Crush It. I read it because remember I was bored around this time. Business was stable and I was getting bored. I read it. I'm like, you know what? I, I'm going to do exactly what he did for wine. I don't know if you guys are familiar with him, but Very he created like- he's, he's now with Gymshark, isn't he? I saw- I think I saw something today that he's was he that guy that, that's in the picture today. Okay, so I saw that as well. <laughs> I'm I'm out of the loop with him now. Marketing legend, Adam. Wow. Marketing legend. Yeah, Goodness I'm God. out of the loop. I don't know what he's been doing lately. I kind of stopped it just here and there, but he can do no wrong. So it was he showed me through that book and through his work that you know what giving first you're going to end up getting more in the long run so i don't want to make it seem like i'm you know this charitable person that would have done this it was all because of incentives like but i was able because of him i was able to see okay long term this is going to be good for you just do it especially because no one else is doing it and and, and actually to that point i think jim jim i nearly called you jim james <laughs> whatever it doesn't matter thanks <laughs> Funnily enough, I, funnily enough, I think James and I have a similar sort of perspective to that with regards to this podcast, you know, because this has spun out into all sorts of different opportunities for both of us that we couldn't possibly have anticipated. But actually, it's just opening up all sorts of doors that perhaps we'd never anticipated. I don't know. I think James had more of an intent behind it than I ever did as kind of following on on his coattails. But certainly, you know, it, it's spinning into all sorts of other different avenues, isn't it, James? It is indeed. And I, I think just to give you a bit of an insight into that, that book that um, Dan's talking about there, Adam, it's kind yeah. of the mentality of, of jab, 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 right hook, you know, kind of you just keep giving out loads yeah. of value to people. So you're going to be giving away more than you're ever taking. But naturally, 
there will be some business that comes comes your way it's you know i i've experienced it through running the podcast i'm you know i'm not out there trying to sell to everyone that comes on but quite naturally a lot of my guests have gone on to become clients because they've spoken to me they know that i'm just a a normal guy they know about my family my son etc and that's kind of what it's all about and i'm also you know I've, i've got hooked in because uh, there's just so many interesting stories out there. And, you know, this is just another one of them uh, we, we've done here. Um, so, look, Dan, I guess on that note, um, look, you've talked about, you know, what you've, what you've been up to um, and how COVID has been almost a bit of a silver lining because it's, it's made life easy for, for some of your business in a, in a res- respect. Um, but, look, what are the perhaps the biggest changes, biggest challenges that you have faced since the, the pandemic hit because there must mm. it's not all been fantastic for, for people in um in research um often there's more hours you know talk, talk us through that side of things yeah the first three months i think so march till march april may like march to may of 2020 when the pandemic first started to hit like u.s shores things got dark. So I was like, this is going to be like the, you know, 08, 09. Luckily I have all these businesses now. So some of them are actually going to benefit from the like CRA Academy boomed, boomed during that period, especially when they started giving stimulus money to everybody, man, Mm. people were spending money. Like there's no tomorrow. So the, it helped, uh, but the uncertainty was there. It quickly faded. Even from the site perspective, we started seeing more studies a lot of my colleagues, I have, I have yet to do a vaccine study for one of my sites. We were psychiatry sites. So we, we were not able to do the vaccine studies. Where I currently am in Yuma, we actually have a new COVID vaccine study we're going to probably work on. It's a completely, it, it's a sponsor that is not out there, but they're working on their own version of a vaccine. So I think I'm finally going to be able to do it. But a lot of my colleagues, and a lot of my clients who do are who do who use us for their site services, they did amazing in 2020 and 2021. Mm-hmm. I mean, they took on COVID studies, they took on COVID treatment studies, COVID vaccine studies, and they their revenues sh- shot up. Right? They had to figure out how to adapt with remote monitoring, all that stuff. But even sponsors were like, don't worry about that. Get the data in. We're going to work with you on that. Well, other sites who are not able to pivot, they didn't do so well. I know a lot of sites that actually went out of business during that time um, because most sites have less than two months of cash on hand for operating. So when you have a potential like pause in activity mm. for three months, those owners gonna have to do what I did in 06, put money from or 07, put money from their savings into the payroll. And a lot of owners don't want to do that. You know, mm-hmm. they're yeah. not as crazy as I was and as young as I was back in the day. And I don't know if I would do that now anymore either. I would have to look underneath the hood and see what's going on with the business model. So the sites that were able to weather the storm, it was not a big storm, three months. They got all right now. You cannot, if you're a site, there's no way that you cannot find a study. I'll take it a step further. If you are a brand new investigator, never done research, there is no way you will, if you want a study, you're getting a study. 
It may not be the study you want, but you will get offers to do research. There is just way more demand for sites than there is supply. So COVID's like one of the best things to ever happen to our industry. And I think it's like the, this mRNA platform, that's going to keep the industry, just that itself is going to keep the industry busy for this next decade. Not to mention all the Alzheimer's stuff, all the immunotherapy stuff and cancer, all the uh, CNS, GI. There's going to be so much work for people. And I think that's why you're seeing so much interest in our space from physicians, and from a lot investors. of clinicians and but from investors. Investors are going crazy for a decentralized and, and all the technology platforms that, that support the data piece, but connect the dots within this clinical research. Yeah, and I got a lot of thoughts on decentralized trial. I mean, right now there's a CNS summit going on. That's all they're yes. talking about. Yes. But at the end of the day, they got to solve real world problems. And that's all another podcast. <laughs> I was, I was going to say, I'm, I'm, I'm the CNS summit on... I was kind of surprised that you booked in for, for today. I was thinking, oh, surely you must be. I don't go. I don't all, go. All I've seen on LinkedIn is every other post is CNS. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Go. I've had a little bit of FOMO and I was thinking maybe next year I'll have to see if I can get myself out there and, and do a couple of live recordings and, and things uh, to get him, get involved. The, the planes have literally only just taken off, though, haven't they? This, to the this States. Week, yeah, as, of, as of yesterday, the first plane yeah. went from the UK to the US. At the end of the day, if you're if you have something to sell, it's good to go. But what you're seeing on social media, I mean, I know a lot of those people. It's just like a social, um, you know, let's pat each other on the back and saying we're doing good jobs, which they many people are. But it's like the people who are not there, I think, are doing a lot more for the industry than the people that are there. They're the I ones can, in the trenches. I, I can actually concur with that because I think what we've learned over the last couple of years is actually through doing and being present and doing a job every single day is the thing that's going to drive more revenue than backslapping in conferences to be honest because I've, <laughs> I've been invited to plenty of conferences the only ones I'll go to will be those that are available online to be frank because I'm not going to get on a plane I'm not going to waste <laughs> half a day or whatever to go somewhere to then have an overhead where I'm not earning when I'm there that's the point you know, yeah. and I think many people have come to that <laughs> realization, actually, you know, webinars and, you know, podcasts and, and various other media really support those interactions far better now than I think it feels like a little bit old school. Do you know what I mean? A conference where people go to the yeah. same room feels really like yesteryear to me. I can't actually visually, uh, I can't visualize myself being in that setting right now. So I think, I think uh, like a lot of people miss that. And quite honestly, like if when it's here in San Diego, so next year, one of the big ones, DIA or bio, they always yeah. alternate San Diego. That's a two hour drive for me. I go to those all the time. I don't go because I'm going to learn something new in the breakout sessions. I go because there's going to be people there. I could sell and market my services to. I could bring my camera in there, even though security doesn't like it, start interviewing people. I mean, that's, that's the benefit I get networking. But not to post on LinkedIn like, oh, you know, great minds think alike. Let's high five each other. That's no. stuff. They've been talking well, the same thing for like years. This, you've got to have a purpose for it. And for me, I'm, I'm not one for being seen for the sake of being seen. I always right. have to have a, a purpose. Otherwise, I'm kind of too busy to, like Adam says, too busy to, to waste time otherwise. 
Um, but 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 actually thinking about content creation, you know, that's the place to be doing the content creation. Yes. Isn't it? It's literally fly yes. on the wall and then bouncing in and out of situations, creating the content, posting it up and doing your own thing as a fly on the wall or whatever, because I think that's going to be far more insightful for the audiences than it is perhaps in the old in the old way. You got to think outside the box. Like my yeah. last DIA before COVID in 2019, I went to DIA in San Diego or it was bio. They always alternate. 2019 was bio. I, you're not allowed to bring videographer, right? What I do, I snuck in my video. I showed up early. My booth was in the corner. This is where I got lucky again. My booth was in the corner by the door. I told her, her name is Fina. I say, just hang out by this door. I'm going to open it. You walk in with your backpack and then that's your, your, the camera's in there. Once you're in, the people assume like, okay, this person's credential. They could be, no, old school guys, just like grassroots, you know, get her in. Don't ask for permission. Start interviewing people. Nobody said a thing. Nobody said a thing. We, we should yeah. be careful what we're saying at this point because they might come back and they, they, they'll recognize oh, they'll you next time. Who's going to know from bio? <laughs> they don't watch. They don't watch. They don't care. One of the one of the sayings that I always like is ask for forgiveness, not for permission. That's right. That's that's, that's right. how it that's how it works. But uh, for we'll, content we'll creators, about... I think that's a good thing for you guys also to be there because all the people you want to interview are there and it's really easy. And people love talking. I mean, I'm not pointing yep. at you to say you love talking, but we yep. all love a chat, don't we? And this medium is creating different levels of interaction than we've ever experienced before. Because, you know, we're in reality, we're not going to be in the same room more than once a year, perhaps, if we, right. if we are able to. So the fact that we can actually be in the same virtual room for any length of time and have this depth of conversation as quickly as we can get into that is testament to, to, to the, the platforms that we're using now, isn't it? Absolutely. And the people like you guys, you know, James, Adam, you guys are going to, you know, you, you guys are following the right uh, thesis. And I think is a value add to the community because so many people are benefiting or are going to benefit from watching your, your content. Maybe in 10 years time, when we're a bit older and grayer, perhaps it takes time, man. It takes time. In 10 years time, time. Adam, I may have just been out to grow a beard. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I I might might have a gray hair by then. (laughs) We've talked about the CNS summit. Look, that's going on right now. Um, But look, Dan, what do you think is next in store for, say, the world of pharma, for Dansfera, for Latinos in clinical research, for everything that you're involved in? What are you foreseeing over, you know, the next six months, 12 months? Oh, the next six months, 12 months is going to be, I think, the busiest we've ever seen. Right now is the busiest I've ever seen this industry since 2005. I think it's going to increase um, next year. So in the next six to 12 months, more of the same, but more of the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen to the macroeconomic climate, because as long as there's investors pumping cash into these biotechs and pumping cash into these, I mean, everyone's going to want to do more studies, right? So that's benefiting the ecosystem. We get paid as CRAs, as, as bioanalytics, as data managers, as site owners, we get paid to other drug succeeds or doesn't, right? We don't, great point. It's a great we don't really point, even care. It's just let us do the work. So mm-hmm. more of that, at some point, the party's going to be over because something's got to give with the economy. Is that in one year, two year, three, four, five, I don't know. 
I think this mRNA thing is enough to keep the industry busy for the next decade, plus the other stuff. And I think the hiring shortage is going to increase for sites, CROs, sponsors. So I think it's going to never been a better time to get in the industry and never will be a better time to be research naive than it is right now because everybody's so forgiving. And I think that's the next wave. Uh, pharma's response to labor shortage is decentralization. Yep. That's their response to lack of CRAs and a lack of sites. I don't think that's going to work for most studies because patients need to come from somewhere. Patients don't respond well to advertisements, especially when it's sponsored by big pharma and patients respond well to their community-based clinicians. So I actually think you're going to see from the macro, you're going to see pharma investing billions into these tools. And I think at the same time, you're going to see all these mom and pop clinicians looking to open up their own research. So you're going to have like new school, old school and hybrid hybrid of all this stuff. And that seems to be what everyone else is saying too. Wow. Some absolute bombs of, of information there. I'm, I'm loving that Dan, very straight talking, which is right up my street. Um, brings us up, you know, kind of towards the, the end of the show. But before we let you go, we always look like to round off the show with a quick fire round um, to get a few snippets. So I'll, I'll kick us off with the first question. And um, I guess, yeah, having heard your story of how you got into, <laughs> into research, very amusing. I'd say, look, what is the um, one piece of advice that you'd perhaps give to your younger self? Wow. Um, <laughs> I'd be a lot wealthier if I would have grown some intestinal fortitude and laid some people off earlier, as difficult as that was, because I could have put that money into real estate. At the time, there was no crypto. I, I would have put in Google or Apple or Amazon and been a lot richer now. That's really the only advice I would give because I think everything else I needed to struggle. The struggles define the struggles define you, don't they? That's the point. Yeah, you know, you, yeah. you've got to pivot, you've got to change, you've got to adapt, and that's the thing that creates the drive to succeed and overcome adversity. Ultimately, lay, isn't it? Yeah. So my advice to my former self is like, lay people off quicker and maybe don't expand into a downturn. That's really it. I, nothing else. I I don't think I would change. That's a great yeah. answer. And now you mentioned about about books, but we're always we're always interested. Our our listeners are always interested in what's on people's bookcases or what's on your ah. on your on on, on your uh, on your reading list right now. We'd love to. We'd so love to on my reading list, let's see. I just finished uh, a chapter of this book called Market Wizards, which is about day traders. So they're profiling day traders. This was like written in the 80s by this guy, Jack Schwager. Uh, but the, the best chapter I keep re-listening to it is the last chapter with Dr. Van K. Tharp, The Psychology of Trading. So they get into why people would rather um, have a, would rather stake it all on not losing than taking quick profits. There's like a this thing about your mentality where you're you're more incentivized to not lose than mm -hmm. to win. And this is why people take their profits out too soon. 
And I, I do this time and time again. I mean, I've you know how many times books with a similar kind of theme that people are yeah. just so risk averse that it is crazy. You could ask them the same question phrased in two different ways and, you know, to a hundred people and the response rate would be completely different depending on, on that. So love the sound of that. Yeah. Um, but look, to, to move us on to the next question, um, Dan, clearly you've had to, since being a, a solo man who didn't know what he was doing, uh, you've since had to do some hiring. Uh, what are the top three qualities that you perhaps look for uh, when building your businesses, your teams? Will, willingness to do whatever it takes. Um, almost the opposite of academia. So I don't want someone streamlined, somebody ready to follow orders. I don't need that. I need someone who can think for themselves and with, with a little bit of training can make the right decisions most of the time. And then recognizing that it's ultimately my fault, no matter what happens. So go-getters, people that try to figure out how, for anything you try to do, there's like a thousand reasons why it won't work. And you can, it does nobody any good to keep listing those things. Mm -hmm. But I need the people to say, well, this is how it could work. This is one or two ways or three ways how it could work. I don't need more people saying this is not going to work. And here's why. I mean, we know that if it's not going to work, just don't do anything. Mm -hmm. I like it. So I was going to say, mainly resourcefulness to, to wrap that up, kind of yeah. figure out a way. Go getters, yeah. man. Get Go the getters. hell on with it. <laughs> Go getters. I, I don't know whether you, you find particularly a, a, a specific type of characteristic that you find in individuals that work in our industry, though, because I've said this to James many times before, but the, the fact is that there aren't that many who want to actually jump outside of that box because the box is pretty well defined in our industry, isn't it? That's the only problem. So those go-getters, I think you, you've, got to, you've got to figure them out, haven't you? You've got to find them. I talked to on average, two people a day who want to start a clinic. Within the first two minutes, I can tell who, and I, I don't know if I'm actually right or wrong, but I, I have a feeling who's going to succeed and who's not in the first two minutes. Yeah. If they start talking about business plans and let's figure out our structure, should it be a LLC? Should it be a S corp? You already lost you don't even have a PI. I told these people who called me two days ago, three days ago on Friday, they're like, they don't have a PI and they're more concerned about a business plan. And I said, the business plan's irrelevant. Your PI is going to have to agree with whatever business plan you're going to waste like a hundred hours into this. And then your PI is going to say, no, that's not what I want to do. We're going to do it this way. Mm -hmm. So why don't you spend those hundred hours, go to find doctors, go find, talk to like five doctors instead of worrying about a business plan. People who come from CRO, pharma space and academia are so rigid in their thinking yeah. that they're doomed for failure. As a business owner, there's, you cannot succeed that way. You need the opposite. It's great that you make that point because, because I couldn't agree with you more. And I come across those people a lot as well. And they're not the people that I spend a lot of time with, to be quite frank, for the same reason as you. Uh, because I think you attract, we, you know, we all attract like-minded people and we're not looking for mirrors of oneself, but certainly <laughs> you're very, you're very quickly polarized <laughs> against those individuals that you're describing, aren't you? 
But you know what? Those people I'm describing have a place in this industry, but they it's really not as do. business. It's not as business owners, it's as no. managers. So when my site gets big enough, gets boring. So I no longer want to, when I start getting bored, that's when those people need to come in. They don't need to think on their own. They could be more risk averse. So let's protect what we have. Yeah. Unless I come in and say, no, let's go, you know, let's start growing again. Hmm. So when you want just your business to not fail, you bring those people in, but you don't bring them in when you want it to succeed. It's a great point. Really great point. I like it. Um, one other, one other thing that that we often we often ask our, our interviewees is is what what's your interest outside of work? It sounds like you don't have an awful lot of time outside of work, but I, I think it'd be interesting to hear what what else floats your boat when you're not doing what you're doing every day. <laughs> uh, yeah, a couple of things. I like sports. I like uh, American football. I started getting into proper football too. My team's Barcelona. What you mean uh, soccer? Yeah, proper football. Proper football. Uh, I like that. Wow. Very good. Well, he's actually he's he's opened up and said it's proper football. Oh my god, that is a first for wow. us. Wow. Yeah, amazing. I I watch. I watch um, sports. Um, I have a reaction channel with my business partner Chris. I think we have a similar dynamic to you guys, James and Adam. Me and Chris. Mm. Although he's never, he's rarely a co-host on my show, but we started a YouTube reaction channel. I'm more of a hip hop fan. He's more of a rock fan. So we try to find songs that the other one will like. And it's turned into in these last few months, it's turned into like kind of a big, big enough channel to where we can start monetizing it. So that's been fun. Wow. And then that's about <laughs> real estate and cryptocurrency. So like investing, um, nothing crazy, you know, business, business. Well, I, was, I thought it would be that because I've seen a lot of your bits and pieces about trading and is this stock going to go high, bull markets, this, that, and the other. So I thought that that would be it. Um, but look, to close the show, um, probably and our last question, what is your number one golden rule for, for life and, and business, Dan? Wow. Number one golden rule for business. I'm still trying to figure it out for life, maybe. Maybe it's the same thing. I think I know what it is for business. It's back to what you were saying, you know, give more than you ask because nobody does that or very few do that. And I think that's where the magic is. Agreed. Agreed. Maybe that's the rule for life too. I just haven't tested it enough. I haven't (laughs) tested it enough. Uh, I've got a couple of years on you and I think that is a good rule. And I think it works for me. It's a very similar rule to one. Yeah, absolutely. You, you know, you'll always get, get out more than you put put in if i had a gun to my head i would say yes that would be the same rule for life but haven't tested it enough but thank you for that (laughs) (laughs) cool well uh, dan it's been a pleasure having you on the show i know that you're very active on on youtube but um look for for our audience and anyone else that is looking to to reach out to you um i know that you often are promoting your own channel look give us a quick overview of the your your emails and, and where best to to reach you yeah, Dan at the clinicaltrialsguru.com. Uh, anybody can text me, area code 949-415-6256. Um, and then YouTube, Dan Sfera, Instagram, Dan Sfera. That's pretty much it. If you want to be on the email list, the clinicaltrialsguru.com. Fantastic. Well, look, Dan, awesome. thanks again for sharing all of your insights. Pleasure having you on the Huxley Morton podcast. Thank you guys for having me. Appreciate it. Take care. Good man.